I want to say welcome to you all. I'm so thankful that you're here with us today. My name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a 10-week series on the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe this is week number five. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, that's okay. Um, there's Bibles in the back that you can have if you don't own one. And Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And we're going to be in chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Romans 8, 26. Before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for the fact that you promised to never leave us or forsake us and that you promised to be with us to the very end. God, I pray that you would help us believe these things. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to um, just desire to, to walk with you by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word. So Lord, would you help us? Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing. May we have the willingness to submit to what we see here this morning. And we know it's given to us for our joy. And so, Lord, give us eyes of faith to see and hearts that are willing to believe, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of us know, there's times in our lives when, when words sometimes are hard to find. And it's all just emotion. I, I call it, in our home, we call it being emotionally flooded. Like you're, you're, you're overtaken by crashing waves of suffering. And I don't know if you've ever been at the ocean or been underneath the power of a wave that is rolling and then descends. Um, the amount of force there is very significant. The force of moving water is very significant. And sometimes human beings can get caught up in that. And you can literally be turned upside down and very much disoriented as the waves crash in upon you. Sometimes we're thrust into circumstances in life that are like that. You can't think straight. You're, dis you're upside down. You're disoriented have you ever been in a, in a situation like that? I remember when my dad was in the final hours of his journey through cancer. And I remember vividly um, those, those final hours of him struggling to breathe. Uh, breathing was super labored. He didn't seem in pain. I think medication was helping that. But I'll never forget his breathing sounded like, it sounds weird, but every time I hear coffee being brewed, it sounded like coffee percolating. And it's, the, it's the rattling of the of fluid in the lungs. I never heard that before. And his organs were just starting to, to shut down. And for me, in those final hours, man, I was just going crazy. Like, I've never watched someone die before. And when his breathing started to come like that, the doctor came in and said, it's not going to be long now. 
And there's just nothing to do but wait. But it was a horrible waiting. It's, it's the most pow- powerless feeling in the world. You're completely out of control. You really want this suffering to be over. But you know the suffering is going to mean the loss. And it was just this completely new experience for me. And I just remember being so tense. Like, and just like climbing the walls. You know, pacing back and forth in the room, out in the hallways of, of, of the hospital. I wanted to be with my dad in the closing hours. But at the same time, I couldn't stand being around this, this horrible situation and watching him go through this. And you just feel stuck. You don't want to leave, but you don't want to stay. It, it's just the worst feeling in the world watching someone go through it. At least it was for me. And at that moment, I didn't know how to pray. It was like just just consumed with the tension of all these conflicting emotions. And I, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. Like, heal my dad. Take my dad now. What's best? I don't know. Give me strength to endure. Make it pass quickly. And it's in these moments, you just don't know what to do or, or what to pray. It's too intense, and, and the emotions overtake you. Many of you have been in a spot like this. Well, here's the good news. When you're in that kind of a situation, the Bible speaks to it. And I'm just so thankful that we serve a God that in moments of extreme weakness like that and suffering, our God doesn't like slap us around and say, we need to get yourself together. No, the Bible reveals our Heavenly Father to do the opposite, to send help to send relief, to enter in with us. And that's what our text deals with this morning as we're thinking about what's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The the text deals directly with situations like this, the angst, the agony, the worry, the confusion. Jesus himself found him in situations like this, conflicted about how to pray, Lord, your will be done, but man, I don't want to do it. And and if we live long enough, all of us are going to experience a time when you're going to want to memorize Romans 8, 26, and 27. See, See, our text today says that the Holy Spirit is all over moments like this. The Holy Spirit is all over moments like this for the sake of our help, for the sake of our encouragement. The Bible speaks of this kind of ache, this longing, this tension, this sense of helplessness. And it's so good to know that we're not alone. Man, it could be so, like when you're, when, when you get turned upside down in the crush of a crashing wave, that can be very disorienting. It can also be very, very like, I'm alone. Does anybody know I'm down here? And that, man, we can feel isolated when you're deeply suffering. And the Holy Spirit is given to help us, to specifically, to know we have, to to, to, to assure us and let us know that we have help when we most need it. So let's take a look at our text this morning that gives us another angle on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How does this Holy Spirit function? And this is a very kind of um, specific teaching this morning, but it really only has one point. 
that you're going to see in a second. But it's very, very important for us as we think about our existence as human beings. Verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So look at just the first word of the text. The first word of the text is likewise, or you could say, I think other translations say, in the same, <clears throat> in the same way. And likewise is a, is a comparison word, right? It clues us into a comparison. Paul, Paul, the author of Romans, is using the word likewise to connect. It's a connecting word, right? Connecting to something that came before. He said something, and then he says likewise, or in the same way, it's kind of like what's going to come after it. So the word likewise is like a bridging word. So what's he bridging from and to? That's the question we should read when we see that word likewise. So we have to understand what came before it. Now understand that this, this text is, is a little weird. When you read 26, 27, like, okay, what is going on here? Okay, so for us to understand what's going on here, we have to look at likewise, that word, and go, okay, so he's linking to something. Let's look at the context that precedes it. All right? So that's what I want us to do. Let's jump back to verse 18 to understand what 26 and 27 is all about and understand the context. Verse 18 says this. Paul's writing, now let's remember the context, historically. Paul's writing to an ancient church or group of house churches around the city of Rome. And these Christians are suffering. And you'll see that in the context of the book of Romans, especially in chapter 8. He assumes, he says at one point, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. Okay, so there's a context of suffering here. There's a context of persecution there's a context of stress. But look at what Paul says here. This is so amazing. Verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with what? With the glory that is to be revealed. So we learn right away that the context for our verses is all about suffering. He says it there. I consider that our that the sufferings of this, so he's talking present and he's talking future. The sufferings of this present time, see it there in verse 18? That's present. It's like, I get it. I get it right now. You got suffering staring you in the face. It's in your present existence. It's, it's your present reality. You guys are suffering. All of us suffer from one degree or the, other, or the other. Some of you this morning are enduring a very intense suffering. Some of you, it might just be the suffering of a body that's getting older. And getting out of the bed just isn't the same as it was. Or some of you are just suffering when you turn on your computer or the TV and just see this fallen world we live in. And you're like, oh, this world, my goodness. We're all on a spectrum of suffering somewhere this morning. And so Paul's writing this to them. He's writing it to us as well. And he's saying it's present, but hey, guys, let's not stay present. I want to remind you of something in the future. And see that there? He says, your present sufferings are what? They're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be. So that's future tense, right? Yes, it's now, 
but remember, there's a future and it's glorious. There's a future and you won't even be able to compare. It won't be worth thinking about. Because why? Because it's nothing. What is nothing? Philosophically, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around the word nothing because nothing isn't a something. So how do you talk about nothing, right? But Paul does it here and he's saying it's nothing. You can't grasp it. It's not even there. It's like it won't even be present in your brain because of what you're staring at in that day is going to be so glorious it will swallow up any memory of the horrors that you endured. That's a big statement. Because a lot of you are in circumstances right now where the suffering is so intense that you can't fathom that going away. You're just locked in the present because the, the, the suffering is right there. And Paul's saying, I know it's right there. I know it's right there. But there's coming a day when. There's coming a day when. There's coming a day when. It won't be anything. That's an amazing promise. Let's believe that. Let's, believe, let's fight to believe that. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But on that day, when we see Jesus face to face and experience the perfection of the new heavens and the new earth, this earth completely recreated, and we live there forever with King Jesus, all the anguish of this present world will be as gone, nothing. Like it's, there's nothing there. It's just gone compared to the glory of God and the glory of resurrected bodies, of a resurrected experience. So Paul's saying we got to stay future, like, like we, we, we remember the future to fight in the present. But then he draws their attention back to the present. Look at verse 19, and he talks about the present suffering, and he explains it. Verse 19 says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is just another way of talking about on that day when Jesus returns, makes all things right, the sons of God, like, like God's children, men and women, will be resurrected and given new resurrected bodies, just like Jesus was resurrected and given a new resurrected experience. That will happen. All things will be made right. And he's saying that the creation, he's kind of personifying non-human creation here and saying, all that you see is longing for that day. Because if you know anything about the first few chapters of the Bible, when sin entered the world, creation was cursed as well. So the whole point here is creation doesn't work right. Our world is messed up, right? And creation, it's like he's personifying creation and saying creation is radiating with a sense of longing. Creation is aching and striving and yearning. One commentary I read is like creation is up on tiptoes, looking out on the horizon, like, is, is, is that coming soon? Like, like you would look out on the horizon, if maybe in like old Western movies, you'd look out on the horizon for the, for the cowboy to come and return. And it's like creation is doing that, like up on tiptoes, eagerly waiting for that day when all things are made right. That's the sense of this text. And they're waiting for freedom. Look at verse 21. 
that the creation itself will be set free. Because what creation experiences is brokenness and futility and things not working right. And that's a, like a prison, Paul says. But the one day freedom's coming. And he says it's going to be set free from its bondage to corruption. That's what we've been talking about. And there's the f- word freedom again. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when we're set free from these bodies that don't work right, when we're set free from sinful impulses that we battle and rage, when we're set free from all that, creation's going to be set free too. And creation's going to work perfectly right. The Bible says the lion's going to lay with the lamb. And the child can play with a a poisonous serpent, and it's not going to be a big deal. Like there's coming a day when there will be shalom, utter peace. And that's freedom. And that's what creation is just longing for, longing for. Because it doesn't work right right now. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. This is what we've been talking about. Waiting, longing, groaning, suffering together in the pains of childbirth until now. So Paul's using an illustration here. It's kind of like childbirth. And not only the creation, so he means here non-human creation, but we ourselves, human beings, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan, remember that word groan, okay? Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul just continued to describe this world of suffering that we live in. And see that repeated word groan or groaning? See that there in verse 22 and in verse 23? Creation groans, human beings groan. You ever groaned as a result of suffering? There's just no words. It's just like a raw expression of emotion. See, Paul's saying that's what creation feels like as it awaits consummation, the restoring of all things. And he uses this metaphor of of childbirth, right? So many... In this, so many women in this room have, have given birth. You know that period of suffering before the baby was born. There's probably some groaning, right? It's not, I mean, for me, it was the worst. I know, ladies, it sounds dumb for me to say that, that it was the worst. But in this sense, it is horrible when this woman that you love is suffering and you just have to endure it. You just have to sit there and watch. It's horrible. I mean, it's one thing for you to suffer, to watch someone else you love suffer. That's not fun. And I know what you went through was not fun either. Okay, I get it. I get it. But, um, yeah, like, but, you know, she's groaning in pain for this baby to be born. I remember that vividly. And Paul's saying creation's doing that, and we do it too as human beings. Because the, the pain of childbirth is similar, he's saying, to the pain of our existence. But there's a trajectory here. It's going to be pain and suffering, and then there's going to be glory. There's going to be beauty. There's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be peace, right? But right now, we're in, that, we're, in that, we're in the labor pains. We're in the labor pains right now. That's the whole point. We live in this time when things don't work right. Sin ruins everything. There's time when we're so in, over our heads, confused, upside down. The only response is to groan. And that is where the good news of verse 26 lands on us with comfort and encouragement. But only if we understand the context. So that's why I, I do the, the, the work to help us understand the context here of our verses. 
Now, with all of that in mind, let's look again at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's back up to the word likewise. So again, likewise, he's saying, we too groan. We too groan as human beings. Our lives don't work right. We suffer. We're persecuted. We're, we're in this environment of a world that just is broken, right? And we're conflicted and we're lacking in wisdom for every, every possible situation. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when you're in that kind of scenario, you feel weak. He's not just talking about weakness like, oh, I'm not strong enough to pick this up off the floor. No, he's talking about being broken, being weak as a result of this fallen world we live in. Like when the world punches you in the face and you feel that acute weakness of living in a fallen world, oftentimes it's so strong you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. You're so grief-stricken. You're so overwhelmed, so confused. There's no words. The thing that we need to do the most, we feel incapable of. We need to be praying to plead with the Lord. It was like, there's no words. And that's what he says here in verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. There's going to be times in our lives where you don't even know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. Like I think of our team. You know, we prayed this morning for our team in North Africa. That's, they'll be on the ground there tomorrow. And, you know, this doesn't really happen in our world yet. It does in some scenarios. But, you know, for the, the team there in parts of the world, like where they are, it's not totally out of the question. Probably where they are. But you never know what happened in the future. But in places like where they are, like in a Muslim context, you hear stories like this all the time where authorities for the city will come and just say to this, these people trying to plant churches, make disciples, hey, you need to either shut up or leave. Shut up or we will harm you. And when you find yourself in a situation like that, sometimes it's hard to know how to pray. Because are we going to pray for just an escape? Because it's a good thing to give your life for the sake of planting churches and making disciples in the hardest places of the world. That's a good thing. So I'd like to continue living, right? I'd like to grow up and see my grandkids. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I know that church history teaches us that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. And so if I really want this mission to go forward... It always goes forward through suffering. There's no, other, there's no other route. That's just what the Bible assumes. That's what Jesus promised. So what do you pray for in that scenario? Should we leave? Should we stay? I don't know. I don't know. Lord, I need help. I don't, know what, I don't even know how to pray. I was just at a conference a few days ago for Acts 29, and I met a young man who was a church planning resident, 27 years old. And I learned a little bit of his story, and I found out that just last May, 
his wife and him lost their baby. And the child was stillborn. And I can't think of anything harder than that. And when you show up to meet with your loved one who's endured with suffering like that, sometimes it's hard to know. Like, there's just no words. There's no, you don't know what to say. If you're in that scenario, you're just so topsy-turvy and grief is just all that you know. You don't even know how to relate to God in that moment. Some of you don't really understand that, but, but the day's coming when you probably will know something like that, the pain of that. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom this morning, but I am trying to show us what the Bible teaches, that our world doesn't work right, but there's yet hope. And it's right here that the Bible says the Holy Spirit himself comes to our rescue. When you're just overwhelmed with suffering and, the, and the, you, you can't make sense of anything and you don't even know how to pray, right in that specific scenario, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an amazing promise? Look at verse 26. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. There's that word groanings again. Too deep for words. The, the Spirit himself intercedes, meaning the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit provides help when we feel helpless. The Holy Spirit represents us to the Father when we can't represent ourselves. The Holy Spirit prays for us, meaning the Holy Spirit takes over in prayer when we don't have the words. It's like the Holy Spirit um, shows ultimate solidarity with us when we groan. It's like the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I'm going to groan with you. I'm going to groan with you. And I'm going to pray for you. Pray because you can't. I'm going to communicate to the Father because you don't have any words. But I'm here as your helper. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, this is mysterious. This is profound. Like, how does this actually work? I don't think we really know how all this works. But Paul wants this to be a massive comfort for believers. That's what Romans 8 is all about. If you read Romans 8, you'll see that he's trying to provide comfort for these believers that are suffering. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in their context 2,000 years ago. And the whole chapter is meant to be a comfort for believers, and this small slice of Romans 8 is no different. When we're suffering so deeply due to the fallenness of this world, and there's no words but only emotions, if you are in Christ and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, it's right then that based on the authority of God's word, you can know for sure that the Holy Spirit is helping you and praying to the Father when your words run out. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's, it's like this. I, th- I thought about this. Like, like a mother kneeling by the bed of her four-year-old who is kind of delirious with a fever. Have you, ever, have, you ever had a, have you ever been around a kid that has a really high fever? It can be really scary. Um, they can get a little confused and a little delirious if the fever gets high enough. So let's say that the child is in bed, delirious with fever, four years old, and, and the mother is kneeling by the child's bed, 
And that child is too young and too messed up with sickness to even know how to pray. That child doesn't have words. But the mother knows the child. The mother knows what that child needs. The mother loves that child so deeply. And as the child is groaning, in, in when you, you know, you got a fever that high, your body just aches. And, and, and the mother is groaning with the groans of that child, groaning in prayer. But there's groanings, but there's also words. And, and that's kind of like what I think the Holy Spirit does for us. How amazing is that? He intercedes for us, groans with us. Mysterious, yes, but the Holy Spirit, like a wise and caring mother, knows exactly what we need, even when we don't and can't speak a word that makes sense. Mysterious, yes. How does this all work? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But the Bible says that it is. And so maybe if you don't actually feel it in our experience, we still believe it because we want the Bible to define our experience and not the other way around. So the Bible says this is what happens. When you come to the end of your rope and you got nothing, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes over. He's got you. He's got you. So we believe it because the Bible tells us it's true. It's just another angle, a very specific angle on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When he prays when we can't. He takes over, giving words to the Father when, we're, when we run out of words. And let's look at this last part of verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's look at this. And he who searches hearts. So he's just referring to God. Probably more specifically, God the Father. But we all know through the Bible that the one who is said to know our hearts exhaustively is God. God searches hearts. He knows the hearts, right? So he's talking about God here. And God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So this just refers to the fact that God the Father knows the Holy Spirit's mind. They're united perfectly in the Trinity, distinct but one. One God and three persons. So again, let's go back to the analogy of the mother kneeling by the bed of the feverish child. The mother knows exactly what the child needs. But also the mother knows exactly how her husband, the father, would like her to pray for this child. Why? Because the husband and the wife are perfectly united as one. They're distinct, but the Bible also says they're they're one. So the mother knows the will of the father. She knows that the father's will is that this child would be healed, that this child would be comforted, that this child would, would, um, would endure the suffering. And so that's what the mother prays. Because what the mother wants is exactly what the father wants. What the father wants is exactly what the mother wants. They're united in marriage. Just like the father and the Holy Spirit are united. So when the Holy Spirit prays for us to the father, they're completely united. And here's what's also beautiful. The, pray, uh, the prayer that the Holy Spirit prays is perfectly in line with the will of God. See that there at the end of verse 27? The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this intercession that we have when you're suffering at your worst and you don't know how to pray and the Bible says the Holy Spirit prays for you, prays in your place to the Father, that prayer is the most perfect prayer ever. Mysterious, yes, I get it. 
that prayer is happening within the Trinity, but that's just what the Bible says here, that the Holy Spirit is praying for you to the Father, and it's a perfect prayer because it's perfectly the will of God. Sometimes we pray and we don't know that what we're praying, is this really God's will? I don't know, but we say, oh, Lord, will you, your will be done because I don't know exactly what it is, but the Holy Spirit does. And so you're getting prayer on your behalf that's a perfect prayer. Isn't that an amazing message? Isn't that an amazing truth? That the Holy Spirit swoops in when, you, when you've got nothing left. Like a mother who's ready and, and willing to kneel by the bedside of a delirious, feverish child and just go to the Father on that child's behalf. That's what this verse says about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives when we're suffering deeply. So some of you this morning are in the fire of affliction. And I want you to be comforted. I want you to know that it's okay. When you don't have words left, God isn't there with a stick to beat you up and tell you to get your act together. God sends himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your advocate, to be with you. That's the God we serve. He loves you. I just read this morning, Psalm 116, our God is merciful. Just an identity statement of God himself. Our God is merciful. Very simple, but very profound because many of us have this vision of God that just wants to smack us around. And that's not what our, what our God reveals about himself. He loves you. He, he wants to help you. Surrender yourself to him at your deepest point of agony and know that the promise is true, that God loves you and he sent his spirit to help you. So let's just surrender. Let's just surrender. Like sometimes when you're upside down in that way that's crashing on you, you feel so alone and it feels like agony. The reality is even if you're not aware of it, the Holy Spirit's right there with you in the turmoil because he loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. Look at what it says in verse 31 of chapter 8. This won't be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, just scroll down to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I would say this. What, should, what can we say to these things? If, if God sends himself to pray when we don't have any words, and that's an amazing God. That's an amazing gift. That's a beautiful comfort. So my, my, my prayer this morning is that we, we would all just, whether you need it right now today or you'll bookmark this, circle it in your Bible, like the, the day's probably coming when we all need this to remember this. Let's do that. And the other angle might be this. The Bible says that we are all indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways this, I could be wrong here, but I think one of the ways that this could manifest itself in the life of our community is that when someone is in that position and they can't pray and there's no words, you can pray with them for them in the same way because you're dwelt with the Holy Spirit. So you can come and pray with them and give them the words that they don't have. And in that sense, there'll be a, a, a profound uniting in our community as we seek to love each other and be each other's aid as the Holy Spirit aids us in those moments. Amen? Amen. Let's do that together. Let's pray. 
Father, would you help us? Would you give us this grace to see with eyes of faith what your word shows us this morning so that we can know that we have an ever-present help in time of need? And Lord, we just thank you for this gift. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit sent to be our advocates in, in so many different ways. Um, may your word and the truth of it define our experience this morning and may it provide the help that we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us in these times. By the power of your spirit, amen.